1: Your travel insurance
0: and prepare for takeoff. Hey, squaddies,
1: welcome to this week's episode of the Travel Squad podcast. Today, we have a very special guest joining us today, Gavin McFall who is a fellow Squatty, OG Squatty, from the very, very beginning when we started this podcast.
2: And in this episode, we're going to talk with Gavin about his 14-month-long backpacking trip. He traveled all around the world, and he visited 19 different countries. He even obtained a work visa, and he worked two different jobs in Australia during this trip.
0: I loved this interview with Gavin. He was so easy to talk to. It was so fascinating to hear about his trip. And I always think that these extreme long trips are really fascinating. I'm so interested in how people make them work. And Gavin really gave us all the details. He shares how he saved, how he worked, how he sold his belongings to afford the trip, how he planned, how he made friends along the way. There's a ton of inspiration and a ton of good tips in this episode. He even shared some of his experiences with guided tours, which you know we love, which I thought was such a genius way to kind of lighten the brunt of a long solo trip. So if you're thinking about taking a round-the-world trip like this, then get your notepad out because this one's going to inspire you. I know it did me. I want to book my round-the-world trip now.
1: And with that, let's welcome Gavin to the Travel Squad Podcast.
0: Hello, Gavin, and welcome to the Travel Squad Podcast. We are so excited to have you on the show. We've been going back and forth a bunch on Instagram DMs, and we've been following your trips, and we're so excited to have you on. Thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. It's an honor. Oh, I love that. So we've been following your trips. You have been very busy and going all over the world, and we're so excited to dive into it, but we like to start every episode with a guest on going way, way back to one of your first travel memories that sticks out.
3: Yeah, so I've been traveling basically my entire life. My grandparents own a cottage up in Ontario, Canada. And I grew up in West Virginia. My parents are from New York, so we would always just do a road trip up. We would stop in Ithaca overnight and then just drive up into Canada the next day. So I always just remember since I was a little kid sitting in the back seat, my parents rule was always don't talk to the immigration officer unless they asked you a question directly. Uh, So that's just something I've always grown up doing. And then when I was in middle school, my brother went on a band trip uh, to Europe for two weeks during the summer. And I was so, so jealous. And after that, I had to convince my parents to send me on a school trip. And I did. I made the PowerPoint presentations. I had the poster boards. I worked them over and they eventually relented. They sent me to Costa Rica when I was in the eighth grade for a week with the school. And it was just an eye-opening experience. And since then, it's been, travel's been something that I've made a priority in my life. I studied abroad when I was in college, and then I planned to do this whole trip around the world in 2020. Obviously, that did not happen. So then it just kept getting pushed back, and it grew and grew and more, and then I just set sail. So what was your
2: motivation to take a trip? And for our listeners, Gavin, you took a 14-and-a-half-month-long journey around the world, hitting 19 different countries.
1: Yeah, what's your so,
2: motivation behind even taking a trip of this length?
3: So it originally started with me and a few friends in college. We planned on doing an Australian work and holiday visa, which is a visa that Americans can get and they can go live and work in Australia full time for a year. And if you do a certain amount of days in Australia working, you can have a second year put on if you did certain jobs. So it originally started as my friends and I were going to move to Australia for a year. We are going to go live in the Outback. We were going to have a great time. And then just the course of life, my friends had to back out of the trips for one reason or another. And I said, well, I'm I'm still going to go. That's not going to stop me. And during the pandemic, I really... Explored the travel side of YouTube and Netflix and podcasts. That was something that helped me cope with the pandemic and isolation. Um, And that's how I found the Travel Squad podcast. And that's how I listen to you guys a lot. But those other videos that I also saw people, they were doing six-month trips in Southeast Asia or four months in Central America. And I said, well, Australia is right there. I might as well go do it. So a lot of that motivation, inspiration was seeing other people do it and saying hey it's possible and then me also saying well i've already committed i've told all my friends i'm going to do this trip i'm not going to back out so i have to do it Mm -hmm. and also for myself i've uh since i've been a kid the amazing race has been my favorite tv show uh i dream about competing on it on a daily basis so (laughs) that i got to go and see places that i've watched on tv growing up that i've had this desire to go to and now i had the chance and i
1: took it well, let me tell you something real quick, Gavin. You really like melted my heart in some sort of way when you said the amazing race because I love the amazing race. Also, I want to compete on the amazing race. I've talked about applying with Brittany. We haven't yet, not for any particular reason, but she doesn't seem to necessarily be too gung-ho on it. So I'm seeing a potential teammate applicant right here. You have my Instagram. All right. <laughs> perfect, perfect. But... What you were saying about Australia and that work holiday visa, it brings a lot of questions to mind. One, was that the first place that you went starting your travel journey for that duration of time? Or was that just one of the places? And how easy is it to get that type of visa? Obviously, I'm sure coming from other countries um, in the world, it may be a little bit more difficult. But as an American, was it very easy to get? And what type of hoops did you have to go through to get that?
3: Yeah, so I actually started my trip around the world in Mexico. Uh, When I had started my trip, the Australian borders hadn't opened yet. So I was still having to deal with wearing the mask, COVID tests and everything. So I started in Mexico and did three months going down to Panama. Uh, And by the time that I got to Panama, the Australian borders had opened and I had already gotten my visa at that point. And it's actually pretty easy to get the visa as an American. You just have to hit a certain amount of requirements. The number one requirement is that you are 30 years of age or younger when you enter Australia. So they want young people. They want backpackers, people that aren't going to go and establish a life down there. And then I also had to show them that, that I graduated from university. I had to have a degree. And in addition to that, I also had to upload a screenshot of my bank statement just saying that I had at least 5000 Australian dollars in my account, so they knew that I would be showing up with a little bit of money. Then I just sent that to the Australian government, and they emailed me back about three weeks later with my approval letter. Some people I've seen on Facebook get approved literally within seconds. They'll hit the submit button, and then 30 seconds later, they'll get the email saying it's gotten approved. And some people, it takes months. So it's kind of just a hit or miss. For Americans, it's pretty easy. There's not a cap on it. But I know some countries, they only let 600 or 700 people apply. But a lot of people that go for this visa are primarily Europeans, specifically UK residents. Uh, But there were also lots of other uh, Dutchies, Germans, met some Italians while I was traveling. Uh, It was a really international scene of backpackers staying in hostels.
0: I have two questions for you. How long between graduating and taking this trip did you have...
3: Uh, so I had one year. I graduated December of 2020, and I left for my trip December of 2021. So I waited until after Christmas. That was my one promise to my mom. Uh, <laughs> and I had sa- I had worked full time for a year saving up for this trip. Um, I lived at home because of the pandemic. I was doing my student teaching at first, and my university said, we don't want you working any other jobs. You should just be doing your student teaching. So that's why I lived at home. And my parents knew I was saving up for this trip. So they weren't charging me rent or anything. So I was able to save up all my money for a full year. And then I sold my car and that's how I set off on my jet. And when I was in Australia, I the what's really nice about the working holiday visa is the minimum wage is about $25, 26 Australian dollars an hour, which comes out to about sixteen, seventeen US an hour. So the minimum wage, even for just being a waitress or a bartender, is a lot higher. So you can save and travel around Australia on that money that you earn as you're traveling.
0: That's amazing. And that was actually my second question is, what was the job that you did when I was in Australia?
3: So I worked uh, two different jobs. My first job, I was working in a uh, hotel slash hostel in Cairns up in North Queensland by the Great Barrier Reef. I was doing work for accommodation. So I would just go clean the bathrooms, change the beds, all that your typical hotel, Cleaner stuff, and so I was able to do that for a month. And then later on, I actually got a job doing ski rental. I was shocked that Australia actually even had ski resorts, but they did—they do down in Victoria. So I was able to work there for two months. I was working sixty-hour weeks, and I saved up just over eleven thousand Australian dollars in just under two months.
2: Wow! And then those were the only two jobs you had while you were in Australia.
3: Those were the only two. And unfortunately, the ski job that I was doing did not qualify me to renew my visa for my second year. And at that point, I already had uh, part of my trip to Southeast Asia booked because I was going to go to Southeast Asia for a few months and then come back to Australia. But basically, the way that it worked out is I would have had to have canceled my entire Southeast Asia trip just to get work done to do the second year. So I just called it quits. So That's when I ended up going to Southeast Asia for four months before I headed over to the Middle East and then Europe and then back to the States.
2: So you made a really good point on there's only certain jobs that are accepted on this work holiday visa. What are some of those jobs that qualify for the work holiday visa?
3: So for Americans, if you are north of the Tropic of Capricorn or Cancer, whichever the tropic is that goes through Australia, if you are north of that any job within hospitality counts. And then if you are in rural Australia or very rural Australia, doing things like agriculture. So picking fruit is a very popular backpacker job. Um, uh, Cattle farming, they need a lot of ranch hands out in the outback. And then you can also do construction, um, lighting technician, some of those really more hard to find in demand jobs that are like we kind of just crank people through a little bit faster. those are the jobs that renew for that second year of that visa. But if you're south of that tropic of uh, that tropic, it's only in the rural and very rural Australia. So the reason that mine didn't count is because my specific town postcode that I was in wasn't rural enough, but all the postcodes surrounding me were. So that it was just a, a little technicality on the website, which was what caused me to not renew it.
1: I mean, I guess you were in the big city where you were working, even though it's technically kind of rural. It was the big boy in town, so it doesn't count then, I guess, huh? A whole whopping 700 people. <laughs> well, compared to the outskirts, I have to imagine that
3: is a lot of people. That That is true. Out in the outback, it's like you just drive for hours and you don't pass anyone.
0: Oh, gosh. Well, let me ask you this. Do you, looking back, Do you feel like it was meant to be that way so you can continue your trip or do you have any regrets about not being able to
3: stay? I think that the universe aligned in a way that I benefited from not being there for another year. If I was there for another year, who knows? The universe could have put me on different paths. But when you're backpacking, the people that you meet and when you're staying in hostels, you really form a unique connection because you're in a very unique situation together you take a bunch of 20 western people and they're all drunk and you plop them somewhere in the mm-hmm. middle of southeast asia it's going to be an interesting experiment regardless um so the people that i met when i was backpacking through like vietnam and thailand and cambodia were some of the most amazing people that i ever got to meet and i'm still friends with them we saw group chats i just messaged them half of happy fourth of july we won 1776 <laughs> and all the brits were like yeah whatever we have health insurance. It, you just make those connections. So I don't like to think of it of what could have been versus what was and more of just appreciative of the experience that I did get to have. Um, that was something that I had to – that I reminded myself a lot on my trip is how fortunate and privileged I was to be in the position that I was because I know that not everyone can go do a 14-month trip around the world. I, I had to sit down and recognize that. That made every connection – every sunset, every rooftop bar that I went to that much more special.
0: Rooftop bars, yes, representing So many.
3: I loved them.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I really love what you said about that because, I mean, as one door closes, so many other opportunities open and like just your mindset on, you know, I'm just going to take it day by day and see how things go, I think is a really great mindset to have. Hey, squatties! we want to share one of our favorite travel products with you. Liquid IV is a category-winning hydration brand fueling your well-being while traveling.
1: One stick fits into 16 ounces of water to give you three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks and hydrates you two times faster than water alone. Their half-ounce hydration multiplier powder packet is the one product you need in every suitcase, carry-on, and day pack.
0: We use it while flying on planes because flights can be so dehydrating. We use it when we feel jet lagged, when we're out on a hike, and after a long night out that has us feeling worn out. In just one stick, you get five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C.
2: Liquid IV also now comes in 12 delicious and refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. Our favorites are the lemon, lime, and tangerine with immune support.
1: It's made with premium ingredients, all non-GMO and gluten, dairy, and soy free. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use Travel Squad Podcast at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code Podcast at liquidiv.com.
0: Hey squaddies, let's take a quick detour to talk about our travel itineraries that we've created just for you.
1: We just launched several new international trip itineraries including Tulum and Japan. This is on top of the itineraries we already have for U.S. trips like the Hawaiian Island of Kauai, the U.S. Virgin Islands, as well as national park trip itineraries, including Utah's Mighty Five National Parks and a week at Grand Teton and Yellowstone.
2: These fully built out 20 to 30 page PDF guides are available for instant download on our site right now. Every detail of the trip is laid out for you. So all you have to do is download, book, show up and have
0: fun. The itineraries tell you where to fly into, the exact route to take, where to stay, park entrance prices, where to eat, driving distance between attractions, the things to see and do, even the hikes we recommend, their mileage, and the time to allot for each one. And believe it or not, so much more.
1: Be sure to head over to TravelSquadPodcast.com to download your very own comprehensive travel itinerary today.
2: But let's go back to the start of your trip. So you went to Mexico and you were doing three months in Central America and you made it down to Panama. Tell us a little bit about that first part of your adventure. Did you do that completely on your own? How did you plan that? I mean, you had 14 months kind of planned out in advance. So how much planning did you do each step of the way?
3: So I liked to plan it chunk by chunk. So starting with that Central America, I knew I'd be there for three months. And I had done lots of research on uh, different itineraries, the different highlights to see, I Nomadic Matt's website, um, BrokeBackpacker.com, listening to other podcasts. So I kind of like Frankenstein stitched together what I knew I wanted to see. I knew I was starting my trip in Mexico City for New Year's because I have a friend who lives in Mexico City. So I knew I was going to be starting my trip with him. And we actually had another friend come down and we started as the three of us. We did New Year's Eve and then we went up after New Year's into rural central Mexico up into the high mountains to a small, small town called Real de Catorche. Now I'm from Colorado, but that elevation was rough and it was some of the most stunning sights. but we did a, a Jeep tour where we went down into the desert, but going down, were it's like a 45 degree angle. We were sitting on top of a Jeep. And it was just rock cliff to one side cliff face on the other so we did that and went back down to mexico and then i knew i was going to fly over to the yucatan and do merida and uh some other parts and while i was there i ran into another backpacker who said don't go to isla holbash it's rained out right now go to bacalar so i said i'll go if you go so she said sure and we went to bacalar together um and that was how a lot of my trips kind of were. I never traveled with people except for small instances like that where we would say, oh, we're going to the same place at the same time. Let's go together. Safety in numbers. That's a really big backpacker community thing. Stick together. And you, because so many places and hostels are so social, you find the same people that you run into over and over again. So I was in Belize and I met this guy at a hostel and he's like, oh, I'm going to Guatemala tomorrow. I said, I'll be there next week. It was nice to meet you, whatever. Next hostel I I show up at, who's sleeping in the bed beneath me but this guy. So then we hung out for a little bit and he's like, I'm catching a bus to whatever city. So I thought that was it. And then a week later, we run into each other in the same hostel again. So we just kind of did this thing and he eventually said, just come with me to the Pacific coast and learn how to surf for a few days. And I said, sure, why not? So I went to the Pacific coast with him. And then after that, I actually had booked onto a group tour with a company called G adventures. Uh, They're very similar to gate one, but they have hundreds of tours around the world and they are people from all over the world. And they also are meant for more adventurous kind of small group tours. So the tour that i did with them we did 17 days and we did honduras el salvador and we were supposed to do nicaragua but because of the omicron variant they just flew us to costa rica and we had some days there instead so i did 17 days with them before i went off to panama after that i also did a few of these trips group tours in between because it's also a great way to meet people mm-hmm. so i that's when i would travel with people and then if i would meet people along the way that we were going the same direction we'd get a taxi or a bus together, but for the most part, it was solo.
1: Really, really plugged into those headphones a lot. Well, I really loved a couple things about what you just said. One of them was, of course, you're doing things on your own, but patching it in between with a guided tour along the way, right? And for multiple purposes, like you mentioned, uh, just to see a little bit more safety in numbers, even though in a guided tour, and of course, meeting people. Unfortunately, you know we have not done the backpacking route in all the travels we have done. And that's kind of like one of my biggest regrets. So anytime we have somebody like you on or we're talking to anybody, I'm really envious about it. But you just mentioned how you started traveling with people um, because you kept seeing them, etc. And that's one thing that people just don't really realize when you travel. Like even though we haven't done the group or the backpacking thing, We've met so many people in our travels that we'll start traveling with independently, like once we're back home on just little trips, or if they happen to be in a certain area and we're traveling there, we'll always like meet up with them. And that's something that people just don't really recognize about the travel community if you're not a traveler, you know, and so you just kind of hit the nail on the head with that. And it just resonates with me when
3: I hear it. And Jamal, you know, you're never too old to backpack. You know, I was meeting I know. people- who I would backpack, and I'm like, you're you're as old as my grandparents, and they're staying yeah. in dorms. But there are places that, honestly, hostels were just better than the hotels. In Australia, specifically, the hotel prices are just so outrageously expensive that they have rooms for families to book for hostels, so they can book in for a family vacation. And especially in Central America, it's really popular with people who are in their 30s their 40s who are backpacking because you can also book private rooms which are still half the price of a night in a hotel now hostels in southeast asia are a different story that's much more of a, a 18 19 20 year old backpack there were there were hostels that i stayed in and i was like you guys party too hard for me and i was in <laughs> a fraternity like good luck but yeah i think hostels are a great way and whenever i say to people that i stayed in hostels the first thing that came to their mind was the horror movie um, and they're like you're not afraid of getting murdered or or anything honestly no i felt i felt pretty safe i had a lock on all of my stuff i didn't ha- i didn't take anything valuable with me to begin with other than my laptop and my camera so i wasn't really that worried of getting robbed and if i did i had insurance on it but hostels are a great way to meet people because oftentimes they'll have free activities for everyone staying so the amount of hostels that I would stay in, they'd be like, great, free drinks tonight at six, bring this plastic card and just show it to your bartender. So we would go and they would uh, take the the card and we would just get free shots and then we would all hang out together as a hostel. There was one up in Cairns that did a ladies night where they had uh, uh, male dancers that were shirtless walking around giving champagne to all the women, but all the men had to pay for all the drinks. So it was, they just have Maybe the- Uh, That one is Gilligan's Backpackers. Uh, If you stay there, you might want to bring some extra pair of sheets. It's not the classiest place, but it is one of the big, like, iconic hostels in Australia that people stay at. So I recommend if you go up there, one night, two nights, get the drinking out of your system, go stay at a different, a nicer hotel when you actually want to go snorkel on the Great Barrier Reef. Do not do it hungover. It's a terrible idea.
2: (laughs) Well, so you talked a little bit about being in Panama, and then I know your next part of your trip was to Australia, which you were just kind of diving into and you talked about a little bit before. So other than the work holiday that you did there, what other traveling did you do while you were in Australia?
3: So I started in Melbourne on a group tour called Welcome to Travel, and this company specifically does tours for people coming to Australia on a working visa. So on that tour, they set me up with my Australian SIM card. They set me up with my tax file number. They helped me open my Australian bank account. So that was an incredible plus and advantage and resource to have. So I, so I was in Melbourne and I actually got COVID. So I had to go do a week isolation in the government isolation hub. But it was all free because I was a foreigner. I didn't have anywhere else to stay. I couldn't stay in a hotel. So after that, I flew up to Sydney. I was there for a week. And then I flew up to the north and made my way down. And then after that, that's when I went and did my ski work. After I finished that ski work, I flew to Alice Springs in the Outback. So I got to see Uluru because that was like the one big thing I really wanted to see in Australia before I had left. And then after that, I took a 22-hour bus ride up to Darwin, where that's where I flew from Darwin to Indonesia to start my four months through Southeast Asia. It
1: sounds like a lot in Australia. I haven't been there yet. And I really commend you because quite honestly, Australia just scares me. I feel like all the things that can kill you in Australia. And of course, I'm going to go. But to live there and be around that for a long time, I commend you for that because I would constantly think, is this spider in my bed? Is this snake under my bed? Yeah, and the farm workers that you were talking about earlier, potentially on the visas, I, I can't even imagine what they're coming across out in the fields uh, out there. Sometimes, in terms of what can kill you, so what yeah. in Australia? Thankfully, I don't have too
3: many encounters with uh, deadly animals. I do have one close encounter, and I was up on Magnetic Island, which is up far in the north, and it's it's one of the islands that has the highest. Percentage of uh, koala population in the world. So I went up there and I did a day hike, walked around, and then I ended up at a beach and it was a clothing optional beach. It was not (laughs) an official clothing optional beach, but I was sitting on a rock and I just looked down to my side and maybe two feet from me was like this little snake. It was curled up and I was like, I bet that thing could kill me. And there was a guy about 20 feet away i was like hey there's a snake over here and he goes well is it gray with dark stripes on he goes yeah he said well that's a death adder it'll kill you um i don't think i've ever ran faster in my life (laughs) thankfully that was the only deadly animal encounter i had but the rule of thumb is just in northern australia stay out of the water honestly like that's yeah the spiders are scary the snakes are scary it's the crocodiles that are their worst So just stay out of the water and don't go out in the bush and you'll be fine.
1: Well, I know we talked a little bit so far, of course, of your South America or Latin America, obviously Australia. You mentioned how you flew from Darwin to Indonesia. So talk to us a little bit about your Asia adventures.
3: Yeah, so I started in Indonesia. I started in Bali. I went there for my birthday. Uh, I celebrated turning 25 In Bali it was great. And
0: question. We're considering going to Bali next year. What's your honest opinion of it?
3: I okay. So Bali is a very chaotic place. If you have if you react to strong smells, it you will not have a fun time in the city parts of Bali. But Ubud, which is in the middle, 10 out of 10. It was absolutely incredible. That one was very much yoga retreat kind of vibes, lots of rice paddy fields. And while I was there, I did a day tour and we went to the Ubud Water Temple, which is a very big tourist site, but it's also a very holy pilgrimage site as well. And what you can do is you can put on the traditional clothes and you can take a like cleansing bath. And what you do is you go and you, you uh, put your hand under your water three times, then you wash your face, and then you drink out of your left hand, and then you wash your hair and then you get in line you do that like 6 or 7 times and we were there with other tourists but we were there with these families of all these local people and our tour guide said he comes there once a year with his family and it's to cleanse yourself and to spiritually wash away the the sins and the dirt so i was like yeah, it's a very refreshing experience but it was absolutely incredible ubud when you go to bali highly highly recommend you have to do that it's in the middle Spend a few days there. They uh, have the fire dance, uh, traditional dances that they do every night at the palace, which was really cool. Um, So I loved Bali. And then if you take a ferry over to the next island, which is Gili T, there are no cars on the island. It's only horses and bikes. And the entire island is basically sand, but it's a big party island. And the island that's right next to it is the same thing, but it's not party. It's more chill, more Airbnb, more resorts. So definitely the Gili Islands. They're just a short 45-minute ferry boat across. Highly recommend it, just for a few days at least. But be very careful of getting Bali Belly. I did, so just make sure you have some antibiotics to get rid of anything your system's not ready for.
2: That sounds amazing. And I think when Kim asked, we were talking about going to Bali next year, and I could see the smile on her face that... We're probably going to make this the trip and she's probably going to want to hit up one of the Gili Islands, probably the party island for sure. But where else did you go in um, Southeast Asia during the section of your trip?
3: So after my birthday in Indonesia, I flew up to Singapore and I met up with a friend who I met. He actually worked at the ski shop with me. Um, He showed me around Singapore. I was there for about four or five days and then I took a bus up into Kuala Lumpur where I spent a few days and then I flew up to Thailand where I spent three weeks starting from the south and I made my way up all the way to the north. And then I was gonna go into Laos, but my dad texted me, and this was right before Christmas at the time, and he said, if I pay for your plane ticket home, will you come home and surprise your mom for Christmas? And I said, of course, it's a free plane ticket, why not? (laughs) Um, So I flew 55 hours home, surprised my mom for Christmas, And then right after New Year's, I flew back to Asia. I flew into Vietnam. I flew into Hanoi. And then I spent a month going down Vietnam. And then I went over into Cambodia, where I was for three months. Then I crossed back over into Bangkok, where I then flew to Dubai. Um, So that was my uh, section in Southeast Asia. So it totaled about four months from start to finish. And what was your favorite
0: part about that
3: part of the trip? It was just a absolute culture shock unlike anything i experienced before and i loved every second of it since i've been a kid i've always loved like asia asian cultures i love whenever a history or geography teacher said pick a project to, to do a country on i was always like china japan that was my that was what i loved and i found it so fascinating so just being there and being in it was incredible vietnam was one of my favorite countries that i traveled to it was one of the most beautiful places in the world the people were so friendly so nice it was so incredibly cheap i would eat out drink out and with like transportation shopping all of that and my hostel it would be about 30 40 bucks a day so it's an incredible place to travel to if you want to travel for long term on a budget and the people of southeast
1: asia were just so incredibly friendly and the food of course the food gotta love the food you can never go wrong with the food, especially in certain countries. You know you're always going to get a really, really good cuisine. And so when you were done in Asia, you said you flew to Dubai. Now, was that the only area in the Mideast that you went to, or did you go anywhere else? in the So with uh, that company, G Adventures,
3: I did an eight-day tour in Jordan. So what I did was when I flew from Thailand, I was I was really flying from Thailand to Jordan, with a layover in Dubai for four or five days. So I just extended that, saw the sights. I went to the Atlantis Palm Jumeirah, did the did the uh, uh, leap of faith water slide from the Amazing Race, all that stuff. I did chicken out at the one where you like step into the coffin and
1: the floor just dri- drops out beneath you. That one, mm-mm, mm-mm. that was a no for me. Uh, well, we but, participated. So... I don't mean to interrupt you. We participated in those ones when we were staying out in uh, Dubai as well. And I remember, see... I love the amazing race, but I could not remember if they did that water slide scene in Dubai or if they did it at the Atlantis in the Bahamas. It was in Dubai. Ooh, I feel even better now that we did it. <laughs> yeah.
3: So I it was I'm part of an Amazing Race Facebook group. So I took a picture of the slide and I put it in and they got hundreds of likes and from <laughs> like previous racers and they're like, We've done that. So I was like, Yay, my connection. Um, I want to say that when we
2: were at that water park, we had a great time at the water park, by the way. So the four, there was actually four of us that went, but the coffin one that you're talking about where you step in and the bottom drops out. Jamal did that one by himself and I would convince Jamal's sister to race me down it. And so we were both supposed to get in at the same time and then they were going to drop us and we were going to race and As I was already loaded in, and she was supposed to load in after me, and she chickened out. So then I had to race myself down instead by myself, and she did the walk of shame down the stairs.
3: I See, what was funny is no one was in the line for it, and I get up to it, and the guy's like, yeah, you can go in, and he opens it, and I literally look in. I step halfway, and I just start freaking out. And I'm not claustrophobic, and I'm not afraid of heights, but something about it was just, freaking me out so i was standing in the line for the other slide next to it and the guy like people would come up they would get in he'd be like all right three two and then they would drop on two and i was like mm-hmm, no and there were big like big muscly guys behind me and they also chickened out of doing that one i was <laughs> like all right i don't feel as bad now but yeah so after i did dubai i did eight days in jordan so we did amman and we weighed, made our way down through petra and wadi rum All the way down to Aqaba and then we went back up to Amman where I then flew from Amman to Vienna, Austria and I was going to do a few months in Europe and I just hit a point in my bank account where I told myself I'm at that point time to go home. So I only spent about a week in Europe and I did Austria and Prague. So I did those two countries before going home. So I hit
1: four continents on my trip So unfortunately, you probably hit the most expensive places at the very end when they're sitting there, you know, on the euro at that point in time, too. So, yeah, and I guess that kind of brings up a point to another question that I have that I'm sure I know the answer to. But of course, I imagine all of this was funded from your savings that you talked about earlier, minus what you were working for in Australia, because I can't imagine you worked anywhere else on this journey, just had the visa in Australia to work legally and then made money there and plus with your savings.
3: Yeah, so I paid for this trip with four kind of big like chunks of money. The first one was my savings from living here and working for a year. My second one was also when I lived and worked in Australia. But I also, before I left, sold my car. So I got seven grand off of my car. So that was a big chunk. And then I also was fortunate to get a really juicy tax return last year so all in all total this whole 14 months around the world cost me just north of about twenty thousand dollars which for a trip that sounds like a lot of money but then when you look at the cost of how much it lit cost to live in the us for a year you're like wow it is not a lot um it's just that
1: first step of having that money to get out there first Well, in some places, 20 grand won't even get you a year's worth of rent, right? So you had places to stay, food, your transportation, activities, everything that you did. So you're right. In the grand scheme of things, that is not very much. But to your point, you are correct. You just kind of need that initial boost to kind of get you there to get started, which I know is hard for a lot of people, but making it work on not that much money to compare to, like you said, rent prices or mortgages even in the US
3: yeah absolutely and it also helped to just actually track i tracked every penny that i spent with the exception of like the atm withdrawal fees those were the only ones i didn't really count and there was this really cool app that uh, a guy showed me when i was in the outback of australia called travel spend and i highly recommend it to all travelers and what it is is you put on your trip that you're going to put in so if you're going to go to bali next year you're going to say all right We're gonna go to bali for 10 days and our budget for the trip is three thousand dollars so then what the app does is it tells you how much you can spend every day and then as you put in how much you're spending it tracks if you're going over budget under budget and then it adjusts your remaining days budgets as well so if you're under budget for three days your daily budget may go up from fifty dollars to seventy five dollars but if you overspend, that will drop down. So it's a great way to track those budgets. And you literally just type in how much you spent and it will track your location. So it says, oh, you're in Japan. We're automatically going to put it in as yen. So that way you can, you can track. That way you don't have to worry about tracking the currency conversion. It automatically does that for you in the app.
0: Budget was one of my biggest questions because I've really been daydreaming a lot lately about taking a year to travel myself and i i've just been starting to think like how much do you actually need and it's possible i know it's possible but so you said 20,000 did you were there any days where you felt like i need to conserve money or uh, you stayed in hostels or were there any other decisions that you made for the financial reasons you took some tours so i imagine
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of a lot of my decision making was based on how much money can I spend left for this day. Um, and sometimes it was like, you know, I have to make sacrifices. I can't go do this one thing that my friends are going because it would put me way over budget. And then there were some days where I treated myself. I was in Brisbane and, you know, my hostel wasn't particularly social. You just find some of them like that. And I said, you know what? I haven't been going out and doing things with people. I'm going to treat myself. So I bought my tic- myself a ticket to see 9 to 5, the musical. And I went and I saw the musical. I treated myself to a nice Italian dinner. I got myself some drinks, bought myself some souvenirs. So there were days where I definitely really went over my budget. And there were some days where I, my only cost was an energy drink and lunch. So it was about it was really finding that balancing act. But yeah, I did have to make some sacrifices saying, you know that's too expensive, or I can't get that one thing I want to get because it costs too much. So I did have to make lots of sacrifices on some of those daily cost things.
0: Hey, not unlike
3: regular life, right? Yeah, I mean, I wish I could go see nine to five the musical every day, but I can't.
1: <laughs> you can always pop in the old DVD and watch Dolly Parton, and you know, I could put you there, you know, kind of. I think I have it on Amazon Prime. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: What were some of the other things along the trip that you consciously chose to do to save money, like hikes versus paid experiences or other ways you saved money along the way?
3: Yeah. So one thing that I like to do is I like to do free walking tours. Those are oh, always yeah. a great option because if you're not liking it, you can always just kind of dip off to the side a little bit. And I actually did that in Austria because it was just so cold. I was like, screw this. I'm going to go get food and go back to my hostel. Um but yeah, so I definitely uh, tried doing free walking tours. If there was something I wanted to do, I tried finding a, a cheaper alternative. Um, and then uh, where it was possible, I would buy groceries and just cook for myself. Uh, I took a travel Tupperware container and a, tra- a travel like set, uh, set of cutlery. So it, that way I could cook myself a big pasta in the hostel kitchen and have that for three days. That means three dinners I don't have to go out. Uh, that saved me 60, 70, 80 bucks right there. Uh, so those were definitely things that I chose to do. And also, I my biggest expense, it's always alcohol and food. Uh, mm-hmm. So definitely just picking and choosing when to go out and drink, or when is it cheaper to go to a store and bring a bottle of rum back to the hostel and everyone gets to drink for cheap kind of thing. Um, so definitely uh, having to pick and choose when to go out and celebrate. Um, When it came to tours and activities and and stuff, I put that as a priority. So I would say, you know, I'm going to, I would rather go to the Great Barrier Reef than go
1: on a three day bender. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense on that end of things. And one thing that I'm just wondering, of course, you're talking about this as a backpacking trip, but I have to ask the question did you have a check luggage or was really everything in a backpack? It was all in a backpack for me. I swear by carry-on
3: only, it it saved my life. And not only did it save my life, it saved my wallet too. And I was able to get it all down into just uh, two, or I think at the most I had three backpacks at one point. My big backpack, and then I had my backpack that had my camera and my laptop in it, with also like my medicines. And then I had my day pack that had my journal, my jacket, snacks and stuff. But the backpack I have is an Osprey backpack, and it specifically is one where the day bag attaches to the backpack. So I
1: I would go from two bags to one in a matter of 30 seconds. If you got the Osprey, you're already ready to go for the amazing race. I can tell you that. Oh, yeah. I am ready to go, Jamal. Just let me know when you <laughs> want to film an audition. Well, I know I can speak for all of us when I say... We're completely envious of this journey that you had, and beyond journey, just a complete life experience. But of all the places that you went on this 14 month and a half adventure, what was your favorite place overall that you went to, and what was the most underrated place? Doesn't necessarily have to be the same, or it can be, but I'm just genuinely curious about that. Um, I tend not narrow
3: it down to just like one particular, I can't even narrow it down to one country that I loved more than any of the other ones. But my top three favorite countries that I went to were Guatemala, Vietnam, and Jordan. And the three moments that I fell in love with those countries, uh, I'll give you those ones. Those are the closest that I can give you to answer your question. Uh, When I was in Guatemala, there's a volcano you can hike called Vulcan Acatenango. And it's just outside of Antigua. And it's, a five hour hike from the base to uh, from the start to base camp. And it is basically a 45 degree angle and it's all volcanic sand. So two steps forward, half a step back kind of thing. And it was the most physically demanding thing I've ever done in my life, but we got to base camp and you're above the clouds, you're above the trees and you just are, so you look around and it's just clouds beneath you and then just volcanoes popping up from in between And you are about two miles from the next volcano peak. And it actively erupts about every 15 minutes. So as we're sitting there, we just see like these ash clouds coming up. But as the sun starts setting, those ash clouds start turning red and orange. So there are these beautiful eruptions. And it was so cool because before I left to save up my money, I worked as an elementary school teacher and when i told the kids i was leaving they were all really bummed so i told them that i would film videos as i traveled around the world and i'd send them back so one of the videos i did was i took the kids up this volcano and i taught them about plate tectonics and earthquakes and all that stuff and as i was teaching the kids this other people on my hiking tour were like teach us about this we never paid attention in high school tell us so i was teaching not only my kids but these these backpackers who are on this hike with me and it was absolutely incredible But the worst part of the hike, and also the best part, is they wake you up at 4 in the morning to summit. So you hike up to the summit. It's dark. You're there in your pajamas. You're hating everything because it's freezing cold. But you get to the summit, and you can see the Caribbean Ocean on one side, the Pacific Ocean on the other, and the sun is coming up over Guatemala as these volcanoes around you are erupting. And that was one of the most life-changing moments because I got to see the Earth physically change in front of me so that's why i fell in love with guatemala uh with vietnam it was halong bay which is up in the north which it's thousands of islands that are just jetting out of the ocean they look like scales coming out and i did an overnight cruise that a lot of backpackers do you just stay on the boat but i did it for two nights and we went around halong bay and it was even though it was misty and rainy, it was still one of the most incredible moments because I woke up before everyone else. I woke up at like six in the morning and I walked up on the deck with my camera and I just took pictures because it was glass still, except for one fishing boat that was slowly making away its way across and it had the Vietnamese flag in the sails. So I got these pictures and it was just calm and serene. And one of my friends, she's from Vietnam and she was telling me about this before I went and she said, When I think of my happy place, like if I'm stressed or yelling at customers yelling at me and I go to my happy place, that's where she goes. And I was there and I texted her. I said, I get it. You're right. It makes perfect sense to me. And so that's why I fell in love with Vietnam because that was just the start to a very beautiful country. And then in Jordan, it's absolutely incredible going to Petra. We went at sunrise and we were the first people there. And our tour guide messed with us and he was like, you can hear the aqueducts underground so like look down you can see some of the sand moving on top so we're like looking we're like we can't see the sand moving we can't see the sand moving is uh oh well anyway we're at Petra and we look up and it's right in front of us we're like and he just laughed at us the whole time it it was just such an incredible experience as a gay man I've always been afraid to go to the Middle East but Jordan was just such an accepting and friendly and safe place and that, I think that's one of the reasons that I fell in love with it because I was, had such different expectations that it really flipped my worldview of this country and a region that, as Americans, growing up post-9-11 was something that I was very scared of going to. My parents were afraid of me going, and it really just changed my opinion on a lot of what I was expecting.
0: Jordan is another one of the countries that I need to visit in the next three years, like on the top of my list.
3: Oh, absolutely.
0: Did you go with a tour or did you go solo?
3: So I went with a tour. It was with that company, G Adventures. It was eight days and we hit all of the highlights of Jordan. And so G Adventures offers a wide variety of tours. They offer tours that are specifically designated towards uh, outdoors and activity people. There are uh, tours that are meant just for food. And then there are tours that are meant. There's a bunch of tours that they have that's called 18 to 30 somethings. And it's for anyone under the age of 39, 39 and younger, and they're offered at discounted rates. So my Central America tour, I think, was $1,400, and that covered almost everything. The Jordanian tour was one of their classic tours, and that one was just about $1,000, because it was on sale. But that one, we had people who were upwards of their 80s on that tour with us, and I was one of the youngest people. So you just meet incredible people on these tours from all walks of life, all different ages, highly, highly recommend the company G Adventures, along with Gate One.
0: How did you pick the countries? Because I'm hearing about Jordan and then Egypt's right there. I would want to go to Egypt and then you are in um, South America and I would want to go to Colombia. And like there were obviously some that you had to skip. How did you go about picking them?
3: Uh well, it was kind of just a fly-by-the-seat-of-my-pants decision. Um, my goal in life is to visit every country, so I always like had that in the back of my mind. Well, I'll always go back and visit it if I don't get to it. Mm-hmm. Egypt was one that I really wanted to travel to, but it's one that I know I want to travel to on a tour. Yeah. It's also one that I know that my brother and sister-in-law want to travel to, so... we kind of agreed that maybe we would do that as a sibling and significant other tour in five to ten years so i tried picking tours on not only where i wanted to go but also where does my family want to go with me so i also thought thought about perspective like that because i really wanted to go to japan but my dad is very set on us going to japan after he retires because he climbed mount fuji when he was in the navy But unfortunately, our apartment flooded and it ruined his Mount Fuji stick. So as you climb, you get a walking stick that they'll burn uh, kanji into at every station along the way up the mountain. So he wants to go back and get another one of those, but with my brother and I this time. So I told him, I'll I'll wait to go to Japan until he goes. So, yeah. Yeah.
2: I love that. And I love that how you broke down every place that was your favorite. Guatemala has been on my list for a little while and doing that volcano hike. Once you said that, I was like, yes, I am frantically adding this to my bucket list right now. Jordan been on my list as well to see Petra. So I love how you broke it down and gave us like really great examples of all of the moments that made you fall in love with that specific country. Was there any country that you visited that you felt was overrated?
0: Oh, or city?
3: Uh, I was not a fan of Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And I know a lot of people who are like, Malaysia, it's beautiful, but they're talking a lot about Bordeaux side and the countryside in Georgetown. I was not impressed with Kuala Lumpur. I just personally didn't like it. I thought it was dirty and crowded and how I thought Bangkok was going to be, but I was surprised at how nice Bangkok was actually. Um, so i definitely say Kuala Lumpur. Um, and Dubai. It, Dubai felt like a Middle Eastern Vegas, it, yeah. just without the fun. Um, and It was funny because I actually stayed in a hostel in Dubai, which I was surprised they even existed. But the hostel balcony view was looking at Caesar's Palace in Dubai. So I was like, I, I'm
1: in Vegas. I'm, it, there's Caesar's Palace. There's a Ferris wheel that's lighting up at night. Great. That's exactly how we equated Dubai too. I loved our time there. It's worth a visit just for people to check it out. But honestly, I can't imagine spending any more than, you know, two days there top to just kind of really see it. Unless you are that person that has all that money and want to live in that opulence, then great. But just like as a visitor, you know, yeah, Dubai, not hating on it, but agree with you wholeheartedly. I have told all of my friends and family that if you want
3: to go to Dubai, do it as a layover if you're going somewhere else in that part of the world. Like if you're going to India or Africa, do a two-three day layover in Dubai because Emirates Airlines, if you call them, they'll just extend your layover for I free. That. Yeah. Um, So that's how I recommend it to people because it's I, it's not a vacation destination.
0: When you were in Thailand, did you go to the full moon
3: party? I did not. I missed the full full moon party. I was I was not there at the right time of the month. It, it just worked out that I was basically going to be there on the new moon. And so that party, those parties happened on Koh Yang. I was on Koh Samui and I was going to go up to Koh Yang. I had such a terrible time on Koh Samui that i just said, screw this. I'm going up to, um, to Bangkok early. And it was a combination of a few things. It wasn't the island's fault. It was a combination of, one, I was recovering from my Bali belly. So I was a little... On the e- uh, edgier side with my stomach, the hostel I stayed in was a bunch of 19-year-old British backpackers that all they would do is drink and they would not talk to me. And it poured rain the whole time. So I I would love to give some of the Thai islands a second chance, especially on that eastern side. I enjoyed the Thai islands on the western side, Kopepe, Koh-Lanta. I loved Koh-Lanta. I went and I sat in a beachside bungalow for Four or five hours, they just kept bringing me beers. My bill at the end was nine dollars. Oh, yeah, uh, so I that's one thing that I loved about Thailand. I, when I was in Kopee I went to the tourist boxing matches. Have you heard? Oh, yes, yeah.
0: yes, I went to it.
3: Oh, my gosh, I took a video of it and I had to explain to my parents that these people were beating the crap out of each other for a five dollar bucket of alcohol. You didn't I, get in there. No, I would just pay the $5 to watch them beat each other up. Um, So I had people who were like, what, you're not doing it? I was like, no. But I also knew people who totally would do it. Um, But yeah, I I liked the the Western islands. I want to get back to the Eastern side. But I was there in rainy season, so they were a little monsoonal while I was there.
0: Yeah, there's just so much to see and do over there that I I really want to go back to. I love Thailand. That's my favorite country that I've been to.
3: I want to go back to get my scuba certification out in Koh because apparently the fish cert- schools just circle around you. And it's one of the most beautiful places in the world to get your scuba.
1: So I want to go, I want to go back to do that. Well, I feel that's kind of like a perfect transition because you're talking about the, you know, what you want to do and what's next. And so I'm genuinely curious, you know, how is transition back to life? Like, re- not that that's not real life, but you know what I mean? Coming back to the U.S., and then from here, where do you go in terms of your travels? Are you saving up for another big adventure like this? Or are you taking little smaller ones? So uh transitioning back was interesting. Moved back
3: in with my parents uh, and I've just been getting my feedback on underneath me. I actually start a new job in about a week and a half with a company called ES Education First. And what my job is is my job is going to be working one-on-one with the middle schools and high schools to help those schools set up international overnight field trips so the company that i went to costa rica with is now the company that i work for Uh, yeah so that i definitely brought that up in my interview they're like yay you're an alumni um so that's my new job and I'll get to travel with that work as well so I'll be going to Europe next sometime next spring or summer I'm not sure when or where but they do send me on tour with the schools every so often so I'm saving up to do a another backpacking trip to Europe especially because this last one got cut short so I'm gonna do I'm gonna finish up my Europe part of my round the world trip next year so that's That's my next trip, big trip coming up, but I also have a few trips planned throughout the U.S. through the fall. I'm going to Seattle in September, and then my family and I were going to Maui for
1: Thanksgiving this year.
0: Oh, that's Jamal's favorite place.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know me, Kim. You know me. No, I'd love that. Have you been to Maui before, Gana? I've not been to Hawaii before. Uh, So you're going to love it. You know, the girls rag on me (laughs) because when we did our Maui episode, they were like, Jamal's coming off like he's hating. And I'm not hating, but, you know, for how much people talk about, I love Maui, Maui's great, you know, and I want to reiterate this to defend myself. You've been to Kauai. I loved it a lot more, and that was my first island. So, you know, that's why Kim says that. But if you haven't been to Hawaii, you're going to love it. Well,
0: yeah. Gavin, I think you're going to have a problem because you've been so many amazing, beautiful places in the world that sometimes u s. places don't really match up when you've seen the amazing stuff out there.
3: I have to disagree. I think the u s. has some of the best natural beauty in the world, and you do I live I live out here in Colorado. Like, I mean, I got the Rocky Mountains literally just to the west. That's how we determine what direction we're driving out here. Um, but yeah, no, like coming from this trip around the world, people are like, well, you don't want to travel the U S anymore. I'm like, no, I've since I've traveled around so much, I've realized how little of the U S that I've traveled to, and I've still been to 20 plus States. So I definitely have more trips. I actually just got back from Chicago a couple of weeks ago. I had never been to Chicago, had very low expectations for it, but my boyfriend's out there and he's like, come out for pride weekend. I said, yeah, sure. And it was one of my favorite cities that i've been to in the u.s it was that's absolutely incredible, incredible. We when it. i was there we did the ghosts and gangsters walking tour <laughs> oh my gosh i loved it it was so cool and people make fun of me for liking ghost tours but in reality what? they're just history tours uh, mm-hmm. so that's i think a great way to get into seeing cities is to do a history tour good do a ghost tour
2: Yeah, we did a ghost tour while we were in Savannah, and it just did have so much history. They brought you to all of the historical squares. You learn about historical events. And it just gave us, like, doing the walking tour just gives you just such a great layout of a city so that when you go and explore it by yourself, you're like, oh, I kind of have the lay of the land on top of some of the history. So if you haven't been to Savannah, it was another city where we've heard a lot about it. I kind of had low expectations, and it completely blew me out of the water, 100% go back again. And I would completely agree with you that the U.S. is one of the most beautiful places, and there's so many different states with different geological landscapes and so much diverse beauty in the U.S., but we're trying to hit all 50 states. We're also trying to hit all of the countries. I told Jamal the other day, I said, if we do five countries a year, we will hit <laughs> all 195 in 33 years and so he was like oh my god you're ridiculous but i think that sounds attainable right yeah i was like i can break this down by year yeah i mean a trip like i did did.
3: i did 19 and 14 months i think five a year is very much a great goal Brittany.
2: thank you appreciate that well gavin as we wrap up this interview is there anything else that you want to tell our listeners about your trip or anything in general
3: I would have to say just any experience that you can traveling, get that experience, whether it's a weekend away in your home state or uh, a family vacation for a week to a new country or 14 month trip around the world. Just getting out there and experiencing life is a way to not only learn about yourself, but learn about everyone else who calls this planet home. There's 8 billion of us might as well make some connections, right?
0: Absolutely. This has been a great conversation. So interesting. I definitely want to see a lot of these pictures and videos that you were mentioning. And it was just really, really great talking to you. And I can't wait to see where you're going to go next.
3: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'll make sure I get those pictures sent over to you. Yeah. And I keep li- I'm keeping listening to the podcast. You got a subscriber. So yeah.
1: Excellent. And just let our listeners know real quick where they can find you on Instagram or any other social media.
3: Yeah. If you want to follow me on Instagram, my Instagram handle is at Gavman underscore 97. So that's how you can get a hold of me. And, you know, I had a great time here conversing with you guys. And when Travel Squad launches group tours, mm-hmm. send me an email. We want the first ones to sign up. We, we will. Email. Yeah.
0: Gavin, yeah. you're. You're an honorary Squatty for life from now on. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah love
3: it.
0: Thank you so much, Gavin.
3: Awesome. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, squatties, for tuning into our episode this week with Gavin. Keep the adventures going with us by following us on Instagram and YouTube at Travel Squad Podcast and send us in your questions of
1: the week. you found the information this episode to be useful or if you thought we were just plain funny please be sure to share with a friend that would enjoy it too and as always please subscribe rate review our podcast and tune in every travel tuesday for new episodes
2: stay tuned for next week's episode we have some more amazing adventures and tips in store for you
0: bye squaddies bye